All right, excited for this episode of Listen to Mario. Mario Lopez here. And this guy, I feel, is the most fascinating follow on Twitter. And I've been following him for a while. And he's smart and uh, provocative, polarizing for some people, but really, really fascinating as a person with his backstory and where he is today, Mr. Curtis Schoon. They describe him as the man who is doing for the black gangster what Martin Scorsese did for the mafia, catapulting it into popular culture. So... Let's get into it. Listen to Mario. Curtis Schoon, how are you, sir? I'm good, Mario. How are you? I'm well. I'm very excited to talk to you because I've been following you on Twitter now for at least a few years. And I think you're the most fascinating follow on Twitter. Incredibly articulate and intelligent and an independent thinker that's not afraid to touch on sensitive or what people can perceive as sensitive, controversial subjects. And you always have such a great response to people who have a difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. And you 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 choose to engage, which I like. And that's what I think is wrong, quite frankly, with, with uh, the dialogue in this country, is you get in your certain thought bubbles and you only talk to people who share the same view as opposed to... That's one of the downfalls, I think, of social media because... You can segregate yourself that way as opposed to actually creating a dialogue, being open to diversity of thought, learning something and growing as a people mm-hmm. was so. But before so giving you props there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's funny because you've been described as the Dos Equis of Twitter, <laughs> the most interesting man uh, in the world. And, and also, I love this description. Uh, the guy who's doing for the black gangster, what Martin Scorsese did for the mafia, catapulting it well, into into the popular culture. So it's uh, it's those are, those are those are pretty uh, cool labels, uh, if you will. But you're, you're from I know you're from New York. You're from Queens, yes, right? Yes. And growing up, you were you did you have a normal pretty childhood, or what, what was the backstory there? Well, well, first of all, let me just say um, thank you so much for the compliments, man. I appreciate. I mean it. it. You know, um, growing up in New York for me, I've always been a hustler, man. You know, um, I, I could remember starting around when I was 11 years old, going to Chinatown and negotiating with what I thought was Chinese suppliers but turned out to be Italians in Little Italy, which was next door. And I'd buy fireworks and come back. I was the neighborhood distributor. So I kind of had an appetite for making money. So you were the, the you were slinging fireworks. Yeah, at eleven years old. Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay, at yeah. eleven. Oh, dang. It was the summer of seventy six. Right. Okay. Yeah, I remember okay. it clearly, like yesterday. <laughs> you know, and um, so I've always kind of been ambitious and thinking outside the box, and um, I, I I like to think that I I've been an asset to everyone in my circle. So a lot of people are kind of loyal to me and protective of me for that reason. Yeah. And- and did you uh, uh, play sports at all? Did you have any interest in that? Was it always sort of like a hustler mentality and 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 making money? Yeah, you know, I, I missed out on a lot of things due to my pursuit uh, of money. And it's not even from a love of money perspective. To me, the success was validation of my ideas and my beliefs and the way I saw things. Because when you conceive an idea... There's no more validation than the the money the success gives you. At least that's how I saw it at that time. No, but I never played sports or anything like that at all. So how'd you get how did that evolve into the hip hop world and getting into the rap game and, and in that respect? I happened that that that's a coincidence. 
I grew up in Hollis, Queens. And anyone, anyone who knows about rap knows that Russell Simmons and Run DMC came from Hollis, Queens. I was... Do you know those guys before? Yes. They were all... Run and DMC, I've known them since I was seven years old. We were classmates all the way to 13. Really? Yeah. As a matter of fact, Run used to DJ in my, in my house sometimes, and I'd go to his house. I thought I wanted to be a DJ too, but... You know, yeah, and I remember when he first started um, rapping and everything else. Yeah. Dang. All of those guys. I mean, like, I, I literally grew up with those guys. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a scar under here where DMC tackled me in the snow and my tooth went through my lip. You know what I mean? Like, Dang, blindside? <laughs> nah, nah, he was a really strong, you know, like, big kid. And, oh, was he? Okay. Yeah, he laid me out kind of good. That's that the first day. concert I ever went to, Run yeah. DMC, when yeah. I was a kid. They were touring with Beastie Boys yeah. back in the day. You know, they they are responsible <laughs> for the commercialism of rap. They really are. The pioneers, you know, exactly. They were the first with the endorsement deals, uh, the bling, the big chains, right, all Adidas, of that, all of the it. street clothes. Yeah. They really set the trend that everyone is following. And I happen to have been there and Russell started Def Jam. And so I've been around that rap thing Yeah, from the commercial Genesis. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how'd you get tied up? And I know it's all cleared up now, but how do people think, or do they still think that you actually had a hand in killing Jam Master J? You know, um, I got... I, I had because that's had still been, unsolved. Am I correct? Yeah, it's absolutely unsolved. But um, how can I say it? I guess when I was younger, I had a somewhat of a reputation for what? Um, not taking any shit. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for not taking any shit, and it was well known that um Jay had owed me a couple dollars. But what people didn't know is that Jay had also set up a meeting with me. For me, with Leo Cohen, me and Jay had a, a understanding, a relationship that people weren't aware of. And a lot of times, when people are on the outside, they connect dots that don't connect. Mm. And you know, two and two, they come up with six. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they, they they're not privy to what's going on, so they can only speculate. So when you combine my, I guess, reputation and the fact you knew him and you know, and, and so on and so forth. Right. So people started drawing conclusions. You know? yeah. How how uh, how much trouble did you did you get in throughout the years? And was it some? Was it mainly a product of wrong place, wrong time? Because you seem like with such a good mindset, even as a kid, ambitious as you know, silly kid stuff. Or did it get pretty serious most of the time? No, I, 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 it's been pretty serious, you know, but. The thing is, right, um, I'm 54, a few months from 55. And we're talking about events when I was 20 years old, 21, 22. So and anybody who grew up in any inner city understand that those are the most... Um, Formative years. And volatile years if you, you don't have the proper guidance. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I don't have any convictions. I've never done time in prison, and I'm a legitimate businessman who employ dozens of people to this day. You know, so I look at it as um, growing pains. You know, yeah, that's how I look at it. Well put. Well put. What I find fascinating, too, on Twitter, and correct me if I'm wrong, no 
no, uh, you didn't go to university, right? No higher education as far because you're incredibly articulate and a, a really good writer. There was no studying involved or really? No, um, I did attend college for one year. And really that was only because I was appealing a, a case and the appeal was, it succeeded, which is why I have no convictions. But my bail was continued while I was out on appeal. I was a 22-year-old uh, freshman. But it was purely a legal strategy for me. I guess you could say um, I'm a thinker, man. I'm a thinker. I'm a reader. Um, my IQ was tested. It was at 138, which is borderline genius. I retain information. I, re- I remember everything, you know, details. Yeah. And I'm really good at assessing people in situations. And all of that has played into helping me navigate through life and help me with my success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just- Books part in history, smart. You can't. You're twice as smart as everybody else. <laughs> and somehow, mm-hmm. um, and I want to get back into your business in a second. But now, what I thought was really cool is 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 you're a filmmaker also. And I saw your your latest documentary, Black, White, and Blue. Mm-hmm. I know you self financed it. Uh, you you narrated it, and I thought it was I thought it was excellent, very telling, and um, made made me think. I wanted to pause and and sort of I saw it with a buddy of mine and wanted to discuss some stuff and then go back to it. And it was just. Why, why, let me, I'm kind of all over the place, but why do you think, I thought it was, it was important. Why do you think it wasn't given more coverage or, or pushed by other um, black outlets? Well, my film, in my opinion, is an authentic black narrative. And the difference with that and what we have and what we see is that because my film was funded by black people, myself, created and made by black people, it, 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 it tends to be more organic in its delivery. Now, when you, when you speak from a black perspective, right, most of the people you see are celebrities who are on the payroll of different corporate entities. Their politics can never be in opposition to the people who pay them. So they are already compromised. I think it's kind of dangerous for celebrities or or high-profile individuals who aren't self-reliant to be too involved with political expressions because they have to watch what they say, which means they cannot be honest Mm. in some situations. Now, that's not to say that their employers are always dishonest, but if their perspective isn't in alignment with their employers, they're jeopardizing their livelihood. Hmm. So it, it might be best for them to be behind the scenes and maybe supply money to different movements and things. But what we have in the black community is controlled talent elements are at the vanguard and doing the speaking. And it's not just with the celebrities. I'm, I'm speaking of the, um, the politicians because we don't even fund our politicians. So who funds them? Because that's who they're beholden to. Mm. You know, a lot of black people were proud about Obama getting elected. Ask them how much money they donated to his campaign. So what do you expect in return if you did not finance his campaign? Because if he's going to run again and he knows he needs a billion dollars to run for president, he's got to make deals with the people who finance him. And that's on a macro level, on, even on a local level, running for mayor, state reps, or whatever, we simply don't support our candidates. 
And then we feel like we're betrayed when they promote the agendas and issues of the people who did fund them. You see? Yeah. So because it didn't fit the narrative, mm-hmm. did you feel blackballed would, would, for part of the expression? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I did. <laughs> for lack of a better one. <laughs> I, I did. But, but you know what? Though? I'm going to tell you something, right? About my personality. Like, you put me in a situation and you know, like some people, they go after the weakest targets. I like challenges. I'm a big game hunter. I knew what the obstacles were going to be before I embarked on that journey. I knew they weren't going to like what I had to say. I knew they weren't going to like me. But they can't parade people like a D-Ray McKesson, hmm. who was the face of Black Lives Matter, and say he's an accurate representation of the black struggle. See, I know that struggle. I am a product of that struggle. You know, and um, I've been on both sides of that struggle. I've been on the, the negative in my youth and now on the positive as an adult. So my, my education is, is well-rounded when it comes to the issues and how to really address them. A lot of these guys, they, they go to school and they learn things. They're indoctrinated. They're not really educated. And that's what I do on Twitter. I give them an education that goes against their indoctrination. And that's why the, the backlash is so strong. Which, by the way, I should point out, on Amazon, this documentary has a rating of 4.5 stars out of five. So it's been very well reviewed yeah. and, and received, which should um, and, and, obviously give you a lot of gratification uh, off of that. Why did you start off with the Freddie Gray situation in Baltimore? Well, well, also, let me say that on Vimeo, it's been seen in 13 countries as well. Congratulations. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, they, they like it. But, you know, again, the narrative isn't the popular one. Now, the Freddie Gray That's situation. That's why I think it's important of you. Yes, yes, thank you. You know, um, the Freddie Gray situation, well, aside from wanting to tell the story, I had to frame it in a narrative that was relative to the times, that was current. And around the time I started, and let me also say that Twitter, social media, inspired me to make this film. And most of the people that are in the film were contacted through my social media presence. Hmm. You know, and, 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 yeah, you know, and, and, um, and around the time, after Obama's second term, this whole Black Lives Matter thing started moving. First, it was, it was with um, Trayvon Martin. Then came Michael Brown. Right. But because I live in the D.C. area, the Freddie, Freddie Gray situation was the closest to me. Right. You know what I mean? In, in proximity. And it was very, very explosive. Those riots, like I know people in Baltimore. I'm familiar with Baltimore. I've been in and out of Baltimore since the 80s. Baltimore is a very, very rough, violent place. So when that happened, I knew it was going to be worse than anything that happened in Ferguson. You know what I mean? Let me ask you this, because mm-hmm. I've always wanted to ask you this. Why is it if you give a difference of opinion, and I've seen it on your timeline, and it's not <clears throat> excuse me, going along with um, whatever the narrative is at the moment— other fellow African-Americans are quick to say Coonan, Uncle Tom and all the, why is that rhetoric always 
That, that's, that's the only, it seems like the retort and seems so, well, I'll let you answer. Well, let me say that first, that social media is not an accurate representation of what's going on in the world. A lot of those people are paid provocateurs, hmm. you know, and, and, and I use them as a foil, so to speak. I engage them deliberately so I could have an opportunity to say more things and more things. And if, if you pay attention, my following keeps growing. I'm shadow banned on Twitter. On Twitter, People screenshot and send me saying that my tweets aren't coming up on their timeline, even though they follow me. They have to literally come to my page. You see, so if I'm the sellout, why, why is there so much effort in, in censoring me? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and see, and the sellouts are the ones who are making money off of trauma and tragedy. I am not. As a matter of fact, I've been offered situations to, to do certain things for money, and I feel like if I take the money, it'll undermine my credibility. You, you understand? Yes. Like, I, I genuinely care about the community. And when I say I care about the black community— it's not like I only care about black people because that's not the case. I, I really feel that everyone has an opinion on what's, what's wrong with these people. Why can't they get it together? That, that, that. I want to I wanna help, help the community as best I can because I believe charity starts at home. And by helping the community, I'll be helping everybody else because they seem to be so concerned about us. You know, they talk about... Uh, 70% of black kids are born out of wedlock. In New York City right now, um, the, the black abortion rate outpaces the birth rate. Mm. 46% of the prison population are black people. And nobody's addressing any of that. So if I want to speak on that rather than speak on... Um, gender issues, feminist issues. Those things, you know, I'm not saying those issues aren't important, but they got nothing to do with me. They're, they're not the priority for me, you know? If I got a, a nail fungus and a bullet hole, which one am I going to tend to first? You, you, you understand what I'm that, saying? That's a great example. And you, <laughs> yeah, and you put your money with your mouth is with your, with your I, business. Exactly. And financing with the films and your employees. That's where it counts. That's where... It's really about the merit and, and, and giving back. So let me get your take on a group like Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, you got a guy, D-Ray McKesson. He's an openly gay black man. He has a strong social media presence because he also coincidentally has a really good relationship with the founder of Twitter, Jack is, Dorsey. Is he the, the individual that essentially started BLM. No, he, he isn't. He's just uh, sort of the, the He became head. the face. I don't know Got how he, he became, became the face. The face. It, it was started actually by two or three black lesbian women. See, and you'll see a constant theme when it comes to people who are anointed black leaders. Hmm. But anyway, D-Ray McKesson. Interesting, I didn't know that. D-Ray McKesson, his, his, he, he was granted credibility through social media and he met with Obama at least five times in the White House to talk about what, who knows, who is the guy? Because that was, to me, in my opinion, that was done to validate him and present him 
as an authentic black, you know, leader. He ran for mayor in Baltimore in the city that he's from after the Freddie Gray thing. He was one of the best funded candidates. They had a fundraiser for him in New York, Wall Street. You see, you, you got to connect the dots. Look at where the money's coming from. Because I, I'm going to get into something else in a little bit, but he couldn't get 3% of the vote in his own city. Super popular on Twitter. Sat with the president, sitting president, five times, and nobody in his city know him. Hmm. So it's a gross misrepresentation of what's important to us and who represents us. And that motivated me to make the film. You see, our voice is not, is not being heard. Right now, the, you got every black politician in Congress and the Senate have endorsed um, a bill called H.R. 2282. What is that bill? That bill is to expand the Civil Rights Act to include gender issues, sexuality issues, and so on and so forth. And again, I have nothing against anybody dealing with those issues. However, in 1964, when the Civil, Act, Civil Rights Act was passed, no one was hanging gays. No one was hosing gays down. No one was sicking dogs on them. It was... It was passed specifically for us and even after it was passed the greatest beneficiaries of the civil rights act were white women so it's never been to our benefit as a matter of fact if you want to trace the destruction and dismantling of black society and the black family it begins with integration and the civil rights act since you bring up the civil rights era my one of my favorite things about uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King is he was faith-based, obviously, as we mm-hmm. and he came from a, a place of faith. Mm-hmm. You, you knew what was right, you knew what was wrong. That was essentially his infrastructure of, of his of his teachings, right? Mm-hmm. I think, and tell me if I'm wrong. I think he'd be met with controversy today. It yes, seems right. It mm-hmm. seems like there's almost like a war against Christianity, and it's a bad word. Recently, um, th- there was tweets about uh, uh, the the awful situation that happened in Sri Lanka, and they were they felt so they they were praying for the hashtag Easter worshippers. You don't worship Easter. There's no Easter to worship. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus. That's that's it's Christianity. The, you're afraid to say the word. We've gotten to the point where now Christianity Christians are a controversial word, and so I was thinking, man, Dr. King would would be met with controversy today and might not have the impact that he had. Am I wrong about that? No, you're not wrong. Uh, Right before he died, Dr. King is quoted as saying he fears that he has integrated his people into a burning house. You see, and and the thing is, the reason why there was such a shift and dismantling of the black community is because prior to integration, we had strong family values. Mm. See? Right. And integration... It, it stripped us of that. What happened was the people who, who backed us with integration, we started adopting their values. And their values tend to be anti-family sometimes, you know, and they push a whole lot of different things. And, we've, and we are like the canary in the coal mine. We are the, the, the outcome of what happens 
when you dismantle the patriarchy and so on and so forth. Prior, prior to integration, although we had our problems with racism, you had more black entrepreneurs, more black families, more black fathers, and all the things that we complain about today, we had. But no one wants to acknowledge that we started losing it with integration and why. It's not simply just the racial factor. It's the fact that we started adopting the value system of people who maybe, maybe they had the means that they could live those alternative lifestyles and so on and so forth and it not affect them as much. But we weren't in that position. But see, it's fascinating because it really is about the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. You can't teach a young man to be a man without a father present there. Only a father can really have that sort of influence and impact on, on a individual. So the, the importance of family is not, and maybe it goes back to the Christianity, but it's not, it, it's not, a, it seems like it's not a mandate. It's not celebrated. It's not even discussed. You know, huh? my, and it really is that simple, right? Curtis, that, that's amazing. What I, you just I, said to us. Listen, my son, right. His mom sent him to live with me when he was 13 years old. And that was two years after the incident with JMJ. So I was dealing with my own Mm -hmm. personal turmoil. And even in the midst of that, I provided the proper guidance for him to make him a man. He's 28 today. I ain't stepping out of line if you're my you <laughs> that, that ass whooping ain't, not, it ain't I wouldn't look forward to that. <laughs> He's 28 today. He has his own car dealership business. He sells real estate. Oh, look at that. He has a clothing line. Awesome. He graduated from college with no debt because I stayed on him and made sure he got the Hope Scholarship. I didn't have the means at the time, but I provided him the proper guidance. To this day, I don't give him any money, but I give him all the advice that I think young men need from older men who have walked the path that that's in front of them, you know? Absolutely. No, totally agree with that. I loved, um, Dr. W. Randy short (laughs) documentary. Yeah. What's his backstory? Where'd you find that cat? Uh, he had some great things to say. Here's the thing, right? Even though I have my views, I didn't want to make a propaganda piece. I wanted objectivity. So I always look for opposing views. If you notice, I had pro-Black Life, my Black Lives yes. Matter. I, you know, so, so important. I love that. I, I love hearing, and I love hearing them back to back. So you can see, you can make your own I, I choices. I am not yes. biased at, at all. You know, but anyway, I saw Randy on YouTube promoting Donald Trump. I said, I need a Black Trump supporter. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, so I, I, I dispatched. Hey, that was your producer hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I dispatched my assistant, and he contacted, tracked Randy down. Randy happened to live in D.C. Ah, oh. Randy's a fascinating guy. He went to Harvard Divinity School, and he was there when Obama was there. And um. Randy gave me a perspective. He said things that a lot of black people say privately, but they wouldn't go on the record and say it because they don't want to lose their job. They don't. You, you understand? Absolutely. So, I'm, I'm in Hollywood. You, you have to have <laughs> you have to have a certain viewpoint. Yes. And think and this 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 town that's supposed to be so inclusive mm-hmm. and about uh, diversity. They're all cool unless it's diversity of thought. That's right. Then that, you know, then you're risking your career coming to an end. <laughs> so 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 Rand, Randy now. He said certain things. He touched on certain things that um, were controversial, but they were accurate. 
he spoke about Black Lives Matter in a way that turned out to be real, you know. And um, also, Randy, he has to be my favorite subject in the film from a, um, from a marketing standpoint because his views set my film apart from all the others that speak about the same things. No other documentary filmmaker would put the content in there that Randy provided and, and risked the scrutiny or, the, or being ostracized for it, you know? And um, it, it was, Randy is both problematic for my project, but I think in the long run, he'll be what makes the project stand out because these things, it's like running a marathon, these things have life forever, mm-hmm. and you never know when it's going to catch on. And it, it could, I'm looking to put it in the university system at some point because those are the people that need to see this. They need to see both sides to combat that indoctrination that they're getting. Because we know that now they're, they're seeing one side very clear exactly. from the professors and, mm-hmm. and on. Why do you think with both the, the black community, the Latino community, for that matter— it's sort of pounded in that you got to be Democrat and they don't, you, they don't even want you to entertain the other side. You touch upon it. I know when you're filming, you, 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 you know, um, I, I'm apolitical and I just want to do what works. And, um, I want to, I think, I think what they call it, um, dog whistling and virtue signaling and all these things. I think these things are easy. It's easy to appeal to people's emotions and fears. It's easier to appeal to their emotions and fears than to provide solutions. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have so much of that going on. You know, like... um, Well, you look at the Democratic field right now. mm -hmm. What are they up to, like 20 candidates or something ridiculous Mm -hmm. like that? They're all saying the same thing. And they're not really standing out as far as uh, giving difference of opinions or even for their solutions, right? But it seems like they're sort of up in the ante saying the same thing. So I'm very, it's it's fascinating sort of to see. I'm I'm curious how the the primary is going to be. And when a debate happens, when you're saying the same thing, I don't, how do you, (laughs) how do you, how do you stand out? Trump is getting reelected. And I've been saying that for a while. And um, Doesn't matter who's on the other side of the... They don't have anybody because what they've done is they've conditioned the voters to indulge in a popularity contest because they don't have any answers for the issues. So it's about... It's going to be some, some random nonsense. Uh, this one's for this uh, gay marriage and this one's for this one. and uh, Things that the average person don't really... Doesn't it doesn't affect them, you know? Trump, Trump is talking about the economy. Who doesn't care about it? Even if you're gay, if you go broke, you're gonna get divorced. You know what I mean? Like, hey, hey, they they gotta still pay. They still gotta pay half too. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, 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 to me, to be a good politician, you gotta deal with universal issues, not these couture issues. You know. And, and speaking of politicians, you know, in the film, there's a um. Senator Coleman, right? Mm-hmm. Coleman Young out of Detroit. I end up backing him for mayor. 
and backed him when he ran again Rashida ran against Rashida Talib for Congresswoman in the 13th district. And the reason why I did that is because he was an outsider. No one was giving him any support. And I felt like through him, I could impact change in a majority black uh, city like Detroit. You know, he lost both times, but I, I gave it a try and I put my money on the line, you know, and I knew it was an uphill battle, but I still had to give it a shot. Yeah. And, 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 and we have to support our candidates. I wanted to lead by example. I don't just want to get up here and say this to you and not do it myself. I took, I took losses and hits. I met Coleman when I interviewed him for the film. Hmm. His father was the first black mayor of Detroit, and uh, he was mayor for five terms. And if you ever go to Detroit, I mean, it's not a nice place, man. It looks like a third world country. You know, Trump would call it something else, but you right, know, right, 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 <laughs> you know right. Right. still, huh? Still, wow. You know, it's it's terrible. I mean, blocks of abandoned houses. Yeah, they go in there, take all the pipes, the hot water heater, everything that could be sold. And, Right. Well, I don't know if you've cruised around L.A. Yeah, how much of L.A. have you seen? Yeah, have you seen since you've been <laughs> we've here? Got some tent, uh... We've got some tent cities going on yeah, here. I, I, San Francisco, I happen to, I, it was so ridiculous. The other day I posted something mm-hmm. that from their own local newscast, they put out um, essentially a map of where human feces has been reported <gasps> in the city. And the whole thing was covered. It was like 118,000 incidents. I was like, oh my, who is just dropping and and then dropping bombs right in the middle. How is that? I was like, isn't that like the most expensive place to live? And yet, yet we have that. Yo, it, it, it's really kind of scary on a on a big level of what's going on because you know with automation and and artificial intelligence and all these things, a lot of jobs. Are, there's not a lot of room for unskilled labor. Let me say that. You know what I mean? Mm. And um. A lot of, I don't know what people are thinking. I don't know if they're getting ready, if they're, you know, like, I want to see work done in the school system. I want to see the kids learn to do cybersecurity and things that are like in the 21st century. All this historical reenactments and these historical impersonators and this love affair with nostalgia, this is going to hurt us big time. Well, know? I want I want to go over a couple of things uh, uh, with you here and get your take Um uh, and, and again, uh, Curtis, I love how as a kid you went through whatever you went through. But mm-hmm. it may, I mean, now, you know, you employ over 50 people and pretty impressive as a, just a street guy who, never, who went, didn't go to college and, and uh, um, now getting into the film industry. And now you have possible interest in the city of Detroit with uh, Dan Gilbert, who, of course, is the owner of the Cavs. Um, what's your what are your thoughts on like the Nipsey Hustle situation? You know, I, I, I didn't really know much about Nipsey. Um, I saw a few interviews with him. He came across to me as a, um, uh, a very intelligent guy, you know. And um, from all reports, they say he was a, a entrepreneur, a successful one. I mean, some of the numbers I heard seem sort of fantastic to me, but, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I, I think I saw Ava DuVernay say Nipsey which is responsible for creating a quarter of a million jobs. Or so. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, hmm. I don't know. I, I haven't done anything. I think his death is a tragedy. Um, other than that, 
I, I, I don't know what he was doing. It seems, from what I know, from where I stand, it seemed like it was positive. It, it does, and I, I didn't really know the guy either. I never yeah. had the top 200 to me, but I was like, you know what? Man, it, it made it extra tragic because he was giving back to his community. It mm-hmm. seemed like he was doing well, but then, damn it, if, if somebody from your own hood always take well, you out, isn't that why you want to get out? <laughs> you know, Nipsey, I, I will say this, because Nipsey was only 33, right? Right. And, and I remember when I was 33, you know, it's kind of like that age when you come from a place where he come from, you're still kind of in and out. You don't want to be totally distant. Right. You know what I mean? And you don't want to look. No, I know. Because yeah, even for Chula look, Vista, yeah. you don't even want. They, you don't want to yeah. look like a sellout to your homies. Yeah. But at the same out, you're trying to kind of get out, but still keep a foot in. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yes. You, you see, now yeah. at, at my age, I only go places I need to go. And I only <laughs> deal with people I need to deal with. You know right. Exactly. I mean? like, no, yeah. it's not, you're right. You get older. Yeah. Hey, as I've gotten yeah. older, my circle's gotten smaller and I've gotten happier. Yeah. Less people, less drama. That's right. right. And Correct. so you're right. He was at that peculiar sort of age right yeah, there. Yeah. I, I think another two years and he might not have been out there anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it is unfortunate. You had a good laugh over this whole Jussie Smollett situation. And I, from the beginning, thought it sounded highly suspicious. Uh, and he's still, I saw something the other day saying he's still having night nightmares over the attack. And my man is not backing down. Well, you know, Jussie <laughs> is a. That whole story is cold as ice. He, he's a he's a sociopathic drama queen. You know, um, he he, uh, he he just craves attention, man. You know, and um and people are giving it to him. Nobody believes. Nobody with sense believes that story. You know, but aside from the foolishness, you got to look at the people who are supporting him and trying to cover him. Kamala Harris. Why? Because it fits the narrative to he was checking off a lot of boxes right he checks off a lot of boxes with the designated spokespeople Mm. for the black community you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. these people are propped up they don't represent our interests but they have a lot of protection and support on one hand i heard he was making a hundred thousand dollars an episode for empire i was like man this guy is lucky because he's not even a great actor. You know what I mean? Well, we saw. (laughs) He's definitely not a good producer. He got two brothers to come try to talk about uh, Trump supporting the Maggots. No, his writing and producing skills are suspect at the least. Yeah, you know, so. Use too many props. Got a little creative with his narrative. (laughs) This is the quality of opposition that Trump is facing. Do you know, I didn't believe Trump was going to win in in 2016. I did not. You know, I thought he had a real good chance until the bus and he started talking about grabbing, you know, and I was like, oh, man, that might be that might be the blow. I I was actually surprised after that. Before that, I thought he had a good shot. But after that, I go, ooh, that's that's going to be it. I mean, you can't be talking about that and you, <laughs> be the president and shock the hell out of me after that incident. Right. Especially you, after you, that incident. You know, I, I never took him seriously. I thought he was doing it as promotion, self-promotion. So did I. You know, and- oh, I think he surprised himself, too. And he's like, oh, I might win this. <laughs> you, you know, and, 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 and it was that same point was said in the film. As a matter of fact, one person said that, that he was shocked that he won. But I, I think what as a country, as a nation, we underestimated how tired the people were with what the other side was doing. That even with all his differences in outlandish behavior and talk, 
people said, you know what, let's try something different. Right. And, and I think that, tired of being politically correct and someone that obviously wasn't as, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, as, art, as articulate or polite as say, you're, you're, but because I, I think people, yeah, you're right. It was just sort of refreshing. Right. And they said, well, I'm, I'm going to give this dude a shot. Yeah, they, they, well, they wanted to try something different. They didn't like what they had. You know what I mean? So right. they went the other way. And, and also again, not, not to harp on it, but I did make the film as a voice for black people. I think we got to stop looking for political solutions for social problems. Mm. You know, those are things that we have to address within our family structures. Yes. And so on and so forth. That's where it starts. Yeah. A couple of the things before, just two more things before we have to wrap it up right here. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Colin Kaepernick actually accomplished anything in your view? I mean, he got a book deal. That's what he accomplished. But he, as far as his he, cause? I don't even know what that's about. I, I, I'm still not sure. At first I heard it was about um, the anthem, the words of the anthem were racist, and then police brutality. I don't know. To me, it's political grandstanding. You're not going to get the anthem changed by doing that. Uh, you're not going to stop police brutality by doing that. So... What are you trying to do other than to raise your own profile? Hmm. You know, he has a really good deal with Nike. He got a book deal. They gave him the Muhammad Ali Award or something like that. I, mean, I guess he's set. He did a lot of self-promotion there hmm. and took people on the ride. Do, do you think it's interesting that he you never see him out speaking about these causes? That's what's always I've found. That's what I find really interesting. I don't. Uh, I, I don't, you know. I mean, never, never, never. I, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think Kaepernick is the brightest bulb in the chandelier, and he's quiet for his own protection. That's what I think. I think he couldn't sit here and do what I'm doing with you right now because he's not going to be able to think on his feet. Because if he was, they would capitalize on it. They would put him out there. If he was sharp, man, why wouldn't they use it? Why wouldn't they exploit it? So I got to I got to question his intelligence. I do. AOC. <laughs> <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's the star of the uh Democratic Party and 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 looks like the future is I what does that say about us as a society? <laughs> well, she she represents um what they call millennials or whatever. Um I think her appeal is primarily to people who feel like this system, the way of doing things, isn't going to work for them. It, it, it comes out of hopelessness. But they just got to do their job, man. They got to get out here and compete. If somebody like me, with my background, with the cloud that I have hanging over my head, you know, can find a niche and make a difference. They just have to be committed. They got to stop posting on Instagram and, and all of this. <laughs> they got to get focused. You know what I mean? Like they right. can't. And I'm talking about her constituents, the people, the socialism thing. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of socialism at all. I'm not. Capitalism isn't perfect, but even socialism to me is funded by capitalism. Venezuela sold its oil for all the socialist programs. 
in the world marketplace. You, you see what I'm saying? Is there an example of when socialism has worked or been successful? I was trying not, to... not, that, not that I know of. None. You know what I mean? But uh, yet it's embraced right now. I, I, I do believe, though, in civilized societies, we should have some some degree of care sure. for the elderly, mm-hmm. the sick, and so on and Absolutely. so forth. You know, those, those things are... Those things are necessary. We can't just be the law of the jungle. But to make that the standard for everybody, I think that's going to, it stagnates development of of, uh, civilization and the individual. Competition is good. I love to compete. It's the American way. Yeah, I I love to compete. Absolutely. Curtis, man, I, I could sit here and talk to you for another mm-hmm. couple hours. You're, you're just going to have to come back. Okay, bro. You have to come back. Anytime. So you come visit right here. C- congratulations on, on everything. And, uh, and, and I mean that. And listen, if you haven't checked it out, the documentary Black, White, and Blue, um, directed by Asian Norris, who was a friend of yours, and uh, produced by Mr. Curtis Schoon, is definitely a worthwhile watch. Really enjoyed speaking with you, sir. Okay, and let them know where they can find it on... Where are they? You tell them. Where can they find it? Yeah, you got to go on um, blackwhiteandbluefilm.com. And you can find the film on Amazon and, and Vimeo right now. And also check out the theme song. I'm a songwriter as well. Oh, come I'm on a, now. <laughs> now you're song. going next level with the songwriter. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> digging it. I'm and digging. follow him on Twitter. That's yeah, right. Yes. And where can they follow you on Twitter? At Curtis Schoon. That's C-U-R-T-I-S-S-C-O-O-N as in Nancy. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. Listen to Mario! So don't forget, new episodes of Listen to Mario dropping every Friday on Mario.com to catch up on the podcast. And please make sure you follow Listen to Mario on iHeartRadio and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. More fun next week. Thank you so much for listening.